Um, I think there's, a, there's something about a community getting together. I think there's something about being able to journey together. I think um, I was reflecting our pr the prayer meeting uh, as we were just praying in advance of, of gathering this morning that we're not, we're not an organization. So Elam, we're part of an Elam Pentecostal church. Um, we, are, we have 450 churches in the UK. We are connected with thousands across the globe. Um, so we're, you, know, you could say that there is organization, which is really important, right? So otherwise, that's just going to be a whole load of mess. So I'm not saying that organization isn't important. It's just that as God's people, we're not an organization. We're a We're a family. We're a community of people who are on a, on, a, on, a, on a pilgrimage of exploring who God is and understanding who he is and finding out who he is and discovering one another and discovering his story and stepping into it for the sake of those, uh, for our sake and for those that we encounter. That's the, that's the deal. Now, I know that for some, when, you start, when we start talking about family, that can be a really difficult thing because not everybody has a good experience of family. That, that would be fair and that would be true. But it doesn't make the metaphor any less powerful or real, especially when the family of God begin to operate like a family and begin to love one another and serve one another and, and do all the one another's of the New Testament that are really important. Now, we can't, I don't think we can do any of that without being, um, being transformed. I don't think we're, we're able to operate in the way that God desires us to operate without our hearts and our lives being transformed in such a way that begin to reflect his. And so the journey of faith and the life of a disciple is one to say, actually, Jesus, I'm going to embrace what it looks like for you to transform me, to shape me, to mold me so that I may be reflective of your character and your kingdom and your family and love, one another, love others even as you have loved me. So it all begins in the heart. And so over the last, I don't know how long we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, we've been, we've been journeying through this for several months of just exploring what it looks like to walk in the way of Jesus. We hit some really big topics. We hit some things that Jesus really begins to drive into as to what it looks like for us now to, to live out this life of faith. And so today we are going to be unpacking uh, the, the teaching of Jesus when it comes to prayer I don't know about how, what your journey of, of, of being like with prayer. Has it, has it been an easy one? No. It's not something that comes naturally to us, is it? It's not something we necessarily find easy to develop. Um, but prayer, I think I'm going to learn and understand that actually without a life of prayer, there can be no transformation. And we'll, unpack, we'll look at why I think that in a, in a, as we go through this. But I just don't, I don't think actually for us to be able to come into a place where God is at work in us is possible without a, a, a commitment to developing a life of prayer. Now I say developing a life of prayer because it's not something that is just downloaded the moment we put our trust in Jesus. It's not all like we get the manual and we live out of the life of the manual because this is, this is relationship. It's just like for some of you who've just met me for the very first time, we've had begun a conversation and begun to get to know some facts about one another, but we don't know one another. Rodney, Rochelle, it was nice to spend a bit of time talking. I know a, th I know a few facts about you this morning. I'm not going to use those facts other than to say, actually, we, we can begin to develop and explore what it looks like to get to know one another. Martin, same, similarly, we've just met. 
And so the, the moments of, uh, of interaction are the starting point for a relationship. And so when we come to a life of prayer, it's not a full stop where we get everything that we need. It is an invitation to explore the character and the nature of God and allow him to shape us in such a way that enables us to know him better and to understand his ways. So if anybody heard of the author Philip Yancey? Yeah, he's written a, a number of books, a prolific writer, thinker. Sometimes he comes out with things that I, you know, I have to get a dictionary to try and work out what he actually means, to get the theosaurus out. Um, and so he spends some time delving into what he actually is trying to get. But he said this about prayer. Prayer is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view. Prayer is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view. I've got to be honest, when I first read that, I'm kind of going, okay, what does that mean? And what does that look like? What does that look like practically? How do we begin to step into this, uh, this understanding that prayer is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view? So we, we often throw out God's ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. We, we can so easily throw that out, can't we, when we don't understand something. I think, but to grab, to grab the hold of the depth of that reality is that God is the one who knows all things and holds all things together. The seen and the unseen. That's why I, lo- I, I love reading Colossians chapter 1 as Paul paints this poetic language about Jesus. The one who is the sustainer of all life, who, who in, in him and by him all things were made. He points to the one that is, is, is reality and knows reality. Knows the very heart of each and every one of us that are sat in this space this morning. There is not one thing that escapes his attention. It doesn't mean to say that he can, wants to control and manipulate every aspect of our lives. Because I don't believe that's how God So, there we go. Um, so what was I saying? God doesn't manipulate, okay? God doesn't manipulate circumstances and situations. He's given us a choice. He's given us free will. We're able to choose. Now, does God have a, have a, a better way? I think his story is far better than any story that we can create for ourselves. I think his ways are far better than anything that we can conjure up in our own. But he will never force us to make Um, to follow him it doesn't work that way he invites us he paints this picture of what life will be like and can be like and should be like as we walk with him he says this is eternal life to know me actually is what Jesus says this is eternal life to know me to know everything about me and so we get this picture how we can step into walking with Jesus to know him and experience him he goes come follow me he'll never force anybody to do it 
And so I think to begin to develop the life of prayer is to take up that invitation to walk with Jesus, to know him and to be found in him as a response to what he has done. He's the great initiator. When we were far off, Christ died for us. He loved us so that we're able then to respond in loving him. He is the one who initiates and he invites us to respond to him. So if Yancey is right and the act of praying, the act of prayer is, uh, sorry, prayer is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view, how do we begin to shift our point of view? Well, I think it begins by I think it begins by surrender. I think it begins by issuing an invitation to be taught how to pray. So in, in Luke, I think it's Luke 6, isn't it? That, or I think it's Luke 6. Jesus, uh, the disciples come to Jesus and say, teach us how to pray. And Jesus gives them a breakdown, a short form of this prayer. He gives them some structure as to how they can begin to develop a life of prayer. Um, prayer is something that we, I think we can learn to do. I think prayer is something that we begin to develop the more that we do it. Because babies, babies learn through seeing, observing, being exposed to, to, to life, understanding their surroundings. They pick things up. They might not, they, they won't understand it right this, at the moment of the infant, but the, the formation of their, of their social interactions, their character, their personality is being formed as they, as they grow and as their parents invest in their lives, helping them to, well, hold on to a, a, a finger or a thumb to grab, to clutch. Some of those things are inbuilt but they're learning all the time how to use their muscles and their hands and their, uh, the, the very thing about who they are as people. And so we learn, we, I think we get this invitation to, to learn how to pray. Um, how did you learn how to pray? If indeed you're, you're a praying person this morning, uh, not just, hopefully not just this morning, but you're developing a life of prayer, how did, how did you learn how to pray? Who taught you? There was a question that was asked me uh, several months ago. Somebody just said, who taught you how to pray? And I had to go, uh, I don't know. Because so much of it is, is learned in the environments that we place ourselves in. And the people that we watch and that we observe. The language that's used. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting and somebody's gone on for a long, long time and used lots of theological words and you kind of go in, I have no idea what that person has just said. We, so we, we learn from the people around us. So, but again, the question is, who, who's taught you how to pray? How do you pray? What's the form of your prayer at this moment in time? Is it, is it well, I, I, give, I give Jesus five minutes or maybe sometimes that might be too generous for us. Actually, in the morning, I take this amount of time. Or in the evening, I take this amount of time. And maybe in the mid midday, you take a moment of prayer. Who taught you how to pray? What does the rhythm of prayer look like for you? By the way, this is not a telling off. This is not you should and I am. This is like, how do we step in this, in this together to develop and cultivate a rhythm and a life of prayer that is able to sustain us for the life that is and the life that is to come? 
so that we may be formed in the likeness of Christ. So who taught you how to pray? How do you pray? Do you, do you, as you reflect just in this moment, let's take a moment just to pause and think about that question. One, who taught you how to pray? And what does the rhythm of your prayer life look like at this moment in time? What is it? Have the, is it helping you to become more like Jesus? Is it leading you to love him more? Is it leading you to love others more? both within the community, our church community, and beyond our church community. I think there's some important measures for us as we begin to evaluate the spiritual disciplines and practices that Jesus lays out for us. So who taught you how to pray? Are they helpful? Helpful habits? There's a, um, there's a way of, I think, of learning that helps us to develop who we're uniquely made to be. And it's not that your relationship with Jesus will be exactly the same as my relationship with Jesus. It's not that your rhythm of prayer will be exactly the same rhythm as, my, as mine. But I think there are some that have gone before us that we're able to learn from that we can then begin to imitate and then innovate so actually when it comes to learning something I think it's really helpful that we have some information about that like we need information don't we information is really important for understanding a subject understanding like the basics understanding the foundation for for where we go like um, Graham you're a maths teacher yeah, yeah. So, so there's some basic foundation stuff of math that is just really important that you need to know in order that you can build off and, and, go, and, people, and students can go from. With prayer, I would, I would, I would say that there's some foundation stones. There's some foundation blocks that are really important for us that we just need to learn and to master information. Who is passing that information on? Then there's the imitation. So as you begin to sit around people and in your missional households or gospel communities or in just in your prayer triplets or on the, the 6.30 a.m. Yes, you did hear that right. 6.30 a.m. prayer meeting that we have for 15 minutes each Monday to Friday, each morning. As we gather online, you can learn and listen to how people, how, how we pray. Begin to imitate. It's not imitation is not always wrong, but it's got to lead to innovation. It's got to lead to, now I've got the foundation blocks. Now I've seen somebody else, how other people do it. I can begin to experiment. Begin to learn different rhythms and patterns of prayer that enable you to grow as the way that Jesus has designed you to be. Because the objective is that Alan doesn't become a carbon copy of me. Oh, I become a carbon copy of Alan in his prayer life. The invitation and the desire is that Alan becomes the kind of person that Jesus has purposed him to be, develops his character and personality and gifting in all that God has called him to and developed him to be, so that he might flourish and thrive in God and have an impact upon those around him, so that flourishing and thriving becomes the point of prayer, not simply a tick list to say, I've done it. Because I think it's fundamentally about the heart and an invitation to know him and to be found in him. So Jesus says these things. And some of you are thinking, oh, Ian, when are you going to get to the Bible? <laughs> I know. Well, I'm going to read it. So this is what Jesus has to say. 
And this is how I, I so there's two things that I'm going to draw out from here. Um, how we develop a healthy motivation for prayer. And secondly, the model that, the, a model of prayer that Jesus gave us. It would be very familiar to many of you. If you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, you'll have no doubt have heard a sermon about this, read about it, understood it, used it even as a model of prayer. And so but we're going to unpack that for the next four hours. <laughs> yes, well, we've got lunch, yeah. I'm not really. I, seriously, uh, we'll, we'll go through this. But anyway, Matthew, Matthew, five, uh, Matthew 6, verse 5 uh, through to 15. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will, re- will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because their father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our father in heaven, your name is honored and holy. Honored as, as holy, sorry. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses." Powerful words from Jesus. So how many of you read that many times? How many of you prayed that many times? How many of you just, you, you, we, we say it. We, we say it in public, we can sometimes say it in public gatherings. We say it in, used to say it in assemblies. We can say it as a prayer. I mean, it just rolls off our tongue so easily. And sometimes we can miss the impact of what I think Jesus is trying to get at with it. So there's some things that Jesus warns the disciples about. He says, he says don't, don't practice, essentially, don't practice your righteousness before others for a show. So in the, in the synagogues, the religious leaders would stand, in, stand up and they lift up their hands and their head to heaven and pray long prayers. Righteous, uh, righteous, full of righteous words to be seen by others. I told you I need a headset because I can use both hands when I'm preaching. Um, and so they, they so the, basically what Jesus is saying, he said, just, just don't be like that. Don't put on a show. Because the private prayer is greater than the public prayer. But the private prayer will always inform our public prayer. If we're not praying in private, then the chances are, because we're, majority of us are, you know, I'm British, and so therefore I'm really reserved, believe it or not. I, if I was in a prayer meeting, I would not be praying out loud. I wouldn't be vocalizing something that I'm not in, in that space. But our private prayer will inform our public practice, or at least it should. You see, because I think when we have this, uh, this 
external exterior saying this is what trying to portray the 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 holier than thou other people might be fooled for it but God isn't he sees the core and the depth of who we are and so our private prayer is far greater than our public prayer just doesn't mean to say that we it doesn't mean to say we shouldn't pray in public it's not what Jesus is getting at. He's saying he's not, he's not against corporate and public prayer. I think there's some real power when we stand together in prayer for something and we all go, amen. I, it's not just like a, pull, a, a full stop at the end of the prayer. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a declaration of agreement. We are in agreement with that prayer. We are in agreement with what has been said. If you don't agree, don't say Amen. But when we come together and we, pre, and we, and we pray together and we, we seek God's kingdom together, it's a really important moment. Because I think it's where we begin to get one heart and one mind. So Jesus, um, in verse 7, says this. He said, don't, don't babble like the pagans. Actually, just read Gentiles, like those that aren't part of, of, of his people. He says, don't, don't pray like them, because they just go on and on and on. And so in 1 Kings chapter 18, you'll see the priests of Baal, the prophets of Baal, like they, they, they just go recite the same thing time after time after time. They say, oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. And they kept on going and going all morning till noon. And then not, when nothing had happened, They stopped. Or in, like in Ephesus, in, in Acts chapter 19, it reads um, the, the, the crowd in the great theater shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they kept on shouting that for two hours. Jesus is saying, don't be like that. Because not only are the people around you getting bored, like move on. Because actually what it is, it's not about the repetition. It's not about a formula. It's not about saying the right words to get God to respond to your prayer or my prayer. So you don't need to keep repeating the same phrase. But simply come before me. And so he, he goes on to say, but when you, um, sorry, uh, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door and pray your father who is in secret so again it comes to this beginning of the private place is the beginning of a, a genuine prayer life a prayer life of surrender a prayer life of of aligning heart and mind with God um, now when Jesus is saying this some commentators think that he's uh, he's he's talking literally like get into a closet and just close the door and just get before the father now in that time, I'm not sure how many people would have had a spare room or a study, you know, space for that to happen. So some have suggested, well, it's like get into the storeroom, go into the closet, you know, literally the storeroom and get on your knees before God, a private place. Others say it would take a more, um, more metaphorical approach and say, well, it's about the heart, it's about the inner place, the private, private sanctuary of our heart. I'm not sure they're competing thoughts, actually. Because I think unless our heart is, is before God, unless our heart is a still place, a quiet place, a residing place of God, in, 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 the, in, in, in that allowing us to be before him, then actually whether you're in the closet or in the public, it makes little difference. But I think it's important 
moments to come away and aside from the busyness of life. And then in verse 8, he says, uh, pray, uh, effectively what he's saying is pray sincerely. Like He's saying, I, I already know what's in your heart, so just pray it. And I don't know whether you've ever practiced that and just gone, actually, God, this is how I'm really feeling. Have you ever tried to pretend to God in prayer about how you're feeling? Okay, that's just me then. Like, the, the moments where you can I really can I really verbalize this? Can I really say this? Because what well God, what are you gonna think? And and actually I don't want it to be true, but this is this is it. When you start to go, God, actually this is what's going on in me. This is the challenge, this is the stuff, this is what I long for, these are my fears, my hopes, my dreams, my anxieties, these are the things I long to see in other people. When you start to develop that kind of prayer with raw honesty. I think it gives space for God to go, now, now we're talking. Now we're getting real. Now we're giving space for God by his spirit to do the things that only he can do because we've stopped pretending that everything is okay. We've stopped trying to present a particular way because if you're doing this in private, it doesn't matter who else is around. It just gives you space and me space, the license to say, God, this is really where I'm at. Because he's for you. And he's for us. So this invitation to prayer, this teaching on prayer, is, is not about beating us with a stick. Actually saying this, that this is the gateway for us to experience the kind of life that Jesus has made available for us. And so he goes on to give the, what we know as the Lord's Prayer, but... Um, others have referred to as the disciples prayer or the model prayer I quite like the idea of the model prayer um, because just something that struck me this this morning as reflecting on this um, is that this this model prayer didn't sit in isolation to Jesus' life so it wasn't like Jesus lived life here and then he had this way of praying over here It, it was an integrated life So actually when Jesus gives this model for prayer, it's coming out of this integration between his relationship with the Father and his life on earth. So when we go through our Father, Jesus said, I only only do what I see my Father doing. So how did he know what the Father was doing other than to spend time with the Father and observe and understand and see? So Jesus lived this reality. Like the, the act, the, so what was that Yancy quote? Um, that prayer is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view. So in the life of Jesus, as he spends time with the Father and acts on the, what the Father is doing, he's bringing the reality of what, who God is and his activity into the here and the now. It's an integrated life. But the other thing about the Our Father is that Jesus, my, my Father, you know, he could say, quite easy, my Father in heaven, but he doesn't. He says, he says this, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven. He get, invites us to join in that intimacy of relationship that he enjoyed with his Father in heaven. It's beautiful. When you think about it, it's absolutely stunning. That we, as, as, as Jesus was able to say, my father, he opens that and extends it to us to say, our father, family, 
connectivity, relationship, intimacy. It's one of intimacy. And, your, and it goes on, your name, your character, your, uh, your name be known. Your name be honored as holy. It speaks of character and personality, the holiness of God. Something completely other. He is completely other. And so when we're, we're called to honor him and respect him, he, he, he identifies with us, but he's, he's completely other. He is holy. And yet because of Jesus, he knows exactly what we're going through. Because Jesus experienced the things that you and I experienced, yet he was without sin. He, he was untainted by sin. He was perfect in every way. And so we have somebody who identifies with us and can show us a different way, a better way. Where the, the character and the personality of, of God are, are revealed. And it goes on to say, and I think, again, this is the, the outworking of that reality of, of God's perspective. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Back in Eden. Go right back to the beginning of the Bible and we see this picture. I don't mean, it's a beautiful picture of God walking with humanity in the garden. The garden being this, perf- this per- place of, of habitation for God and, and humanity. A place of dwelling together. Commissioned to rule and to reign with him and to steward the earth. That was broken because of Genesis 3. And so when Jesus enters, what is he doing? He's actually about restoring Eden. He's actually about restoring that which was broken. Not to go back, but to go forward to the day when he'll make all things new. And all those who have been brought into his kingdom, sit under his his rule and his reign, will know him and walk with him in the garden once again. A new heaven and a new earth. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus lived that out in the reality of the everyday. So when he spoke and the wind and the waves stopped, he was demonstrating his authority over everything when he healed the sick. Your kingdom come. And so when we pray, we're praying, Lord, may your kingdom come in me first and foremost. For there to, for there to be a kingdom, there has to be a king. And so who's king? Who is king of your kingdom? Who is king of your heart? Do, we, do you pray? Do we pray? Do I pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Living out the purposes of God. Number, verse 11 says he, um, he moves from aligning our hearts and our lives with God's purposes and God's plans to then the, the, the interaction between humanity and, and, and God. And in verse 11 he get this sense that he wants to look after us. Give us today our daily bread. Not next year's, not even tomorrow's, but our daily bread. He's the one who sustains us and keeps us. I think there's a way that you can, we can take this literally. He's, he, we, we have what we have because of his grace. We can take it spiritually. We have what we have because of his grace. Everything is, is given by him. But it can also draw us to look to him for strength and sustenance throughout each and every day. 
daily coming to him, recognizing our need of him. And goes, forgive us. Forgive us our trespasses, even as we forgive those who've trespassed against us, sinned against us. I think Jesus in this moment, well, Jesus was, Jesus didn't need to ask for forgiveness. Did nothing wrong to need forgiveness of sin. This is where it applies to us. As people who have, who have been far from God and by his grace have been brought close to him, us, is when he gives us this model of, of life of prayer and he says, pray, do this, act of confession and repentance as a daily thing, I think it helps to keep our account short. It's not about... It's not about being saved again all over again for the first time. It's about keeping our feet and our hands clean. As we go throughout the course of the day, like allowing the dust and the dirt and the muck that we pick up as we go through to say, Lord, there were some things today that I did and I said and I, th- I thought, forgive me. Forgive me of those things. And the repentance bit, is one, yes, saying sorry, but it's a changing of mind and saying, Jesus, tomorrow, would you help me to live, live differently? Would you help me to live in a different way today? Even as I bring my, my, my effort and my, you know, because grace isn't opposed to effort, as Dallas Willard once said, it's opposed to earning. Grace is opposed to earning, not opposed to effort. And so as we bring ourselves and strive into that, live the kind of life that he's called us, he will empower us because we've already asked him to give us what we need and then deliver us. God doesn't tempt us. The enemy does that. Satan does that. Satan tempts us because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But God will allow periods of testing in order that we may be strengthened. Now, if you've ever been through a period of testing, you'll know that you don't want it to happen. But you know that when you come through it, you see how God was at work in you and strengthening you, sustaining you, keeping you, preserving you and creating perseverance in you so that you can, you can keep going and we can keep going. Because he, he wants to strengthen our resolve. And then in verse 14 and 15, he just re- he reiterate, reiterates the importance of forgiveness. When Jesus says something twice, it gives a measure of the importance. And so this, uh, when, he, when he emphasizes forgiveness, he's not saying so that we may earn our salvation in any way, shape, or form. He's simply saying that when we learn to forgive others, it is an evidence and a fruit of that which of our, our, our receiving of his forgiveness and his grace. So we can, we can only genuinely, truly forgive if we have been forgiven. And so what, what hinders us? What hinders us from developing a healthy prayer life? Well, Martin um, Zigarelli, uh, sorry, not Martin, Michael Zigarelli. Um, what a great name, eh? Zigarelli of, of Messiah University did some research into uh, the number one thing that distracts us from a life with God. And this is what he said. It may be the case that one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry and overload, which leads us to two, God becoming more marginalized in the Christians' lives, which leads to three, 
uh, deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to number four, uh, Christians becoming more vulnerable to the busyness, hurry and overload. Uh, sorry, um, sorry, I missed a uh, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to number five, uh, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry and overload, and then the cycle begins all again. I think the biggest hindrance to us developing a healthy rhythm of prayer is busyness. It's the sickness of our age. And we all do it, don't we? Well, I can't speak for you. I know that I do. My life can sometimes be so busy. Here, there, and everywhere. So many things to fit in. So many demands on time. And we kind of go, how, how on earth can we fit this in? I wonder whether the prayer life that Jesus invites us into is one to be developed. One, yes, moment, moments of, of prayer and retreat with him, but lived throughout the course of our day as, as we integrate life and prayer together. I think we can only develop that life of prayer when we have moments of prayer. Because without the moments of prayer, it doesn't feed the, 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 the um, without that, those, those, those times of retreat we just get busy. And so busyness, I think, is one of the, one of the things that is a hindrance. Um, self, <laughs> yeah, self-worship. And my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, so often when I've prayed, is God, would you do this? I, this is how I'm seeing it, so therefore you need to operate in the way that I see it. This is what I want, Jesus. This is what I want you to do. And I wonder whether the invitation to pray is that, that I'm still king of my own life rather than saying, Jesus, you're king. Your will be done on earth in heaven. Help me to see what your purposes are. Help me to align my life with what you're doing today. Not tomorrow, just today, because I can't concentrate and doing, I can't do anything about tomorrow, but today, what does it look like? Help me to live that life out. Maybe self-reliance. I feed thyself, thank you rather than a posture of thankfulness and gratitude and a heart of saying, Jesus, this is all, all we have is yours. I think the other thing is unforgiveness. I think unforgiveness is a big hindrance to any, any spiritual growth and development. How do, we do, how do we get past that? Well, absolutely, I think there's a bit of a, there's a, there's a process, there's a journey, but it, becomes, it comes by letting go. It comes by letting go of the desire and the need for somebody else to be punished. I've heard this quote, I can't remember who said it, but unforgiveness is like taking poison and expecting the other person to die. So often we think that by holding on to something, it'll hurt others, it doesn't just hurt our own soul. And so if, you, if that's an issue for you this morning, then I, I just invite you, not, don't just try and do it on your own, but journey with somebody, I'll let somebody walk with you as you bring that to God in prayer and allow his healing to come in order that you might be able to release forgiveness to others. So what does this look like and how does this connect with our value? Well, maybe something you can consider is, uh, if you take that quote from Yancey and prayer is, is, is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view. Have you considered prayer in any, anything, any other way? Has, has prayer been about what you get from God or God allowing, aligning his purposes with yours? Has it simply been about a re, a requests, God do this? Because I think prayer is an invitation to relationship and to abide with him. Maybe you could try something. 
maybe you could try joining us at 6, 6.30 tomorrow morning. If you want to join, join at 6.30 tomorrow morning, ask me or Alan or Phil. We'll make sure you get the code, um, the Zoom link, and you can join us. And maybe you just try it once. You don't have to commit to being there every morning. But maybe you could just try something to develop a pattern and a rhythm of prayer. Or if you're, um, or maybe you just need to seek somebody out. And if you're not in a missional household or gospel community, we'll explain more about that in a moment. But if you're not in one, then you, maybe you could consider joining one and let other people walk with you as you seek to try and develop a life of walking with Jesus. If you are in a, in a missional household, then maybe there's some people in your, in your, in your missional household that might need some, some mentoring, some coaching, some help with prayer. How can you make yourself available to them? Because we don't, as, as a church, we don't want prayer just to be something that we talk about. We want prayer to be something that's lived in the everyday, in the everyday moments of our, every, every part of our life, surrendered to God, living out his purposes. But in the moments of corporately coming together, um, where we, we seek after him for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for listening just to my amusings this morning. And I hope that some of that has been helpful. Um, but I would just really encourage you to, to seek how to learn, to seek learning, to learn um, and to develop that life of prayer. So, Father, I thank you for your goodness and your grace, your kindness towards us. I thank you that as we set our hearts to walk with you, to, to know you, you you graciously do that which we're not able to do for ourselves. You simply ask us to surrender to you, to, to walk obediently, to give ourselves fully to you. So would you help us to be those kind of people in order that your kingdom may come in us first and foremost and that your will be done in us first and foremost. That as we, as we, as we live that out in our lives that we may see that evidenced increasingly and uh, consistently in the life of our community and community uh, 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 beyond, the, the, beyond OCC so that your name may be honoured and that people may put their trust in you and hope in you for your glory and your name's sake. I ask these things. Amen. Amen.